Midwife calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paula Moffat, not that kind of doctor. And this week we are starting season seven, six, six. <laughs> uh, every time I'm like, the Christmas special is season five Christmas special, but I've written down Christmas six season Christmas special in we my We literally notes. go over this every time. I know. It's season six, episode zero. That's just how it is in the world of this. <laughs> So it's the Christmas special that comes before season six, which means we are lumping it with season six. The excite, the real point of my befuddlement and excitement is this is not just a new episode of Poplar Opinion. This is the beginning of a new season of Poplar Opinion. Huzzah! Uh, so... We are very excited to be back and talking about season six of Call the Midwife, starting with the Christmas special, the episode zero of the season. This episode was directed by Sid McCartney and written by Heidi Thomas. We last saw Sid McCartney at the beginning of season five. He directed the first two episodes of that season, which were the episode where Susan Mullocks is born and the episode where Sister Evangelina pressures a new mother into breastfeeding and then feels guilty about it. Um, Heidi Thomas writes a lot of Call the Midwife. Most recently, she wrote the last four episodes of season five. Uh, and the last episode of season five was the episode where Sister Evangelina died. So that was the last time we were here in Poplar. Mm-hmm. Do you want to take us away on the recap, Jan? I sure will. Um, let's get into this. Mature Jenny narrates about Christmas and gifts. Fred, dressed as Father Christmas, delivers presents to newborns, and Nanata's house celebrates a Christmas dinner together. Sister Julianne receives a call about a mission hospital in South Africa, where the head sister has just passed away. A group from Poplar is set to go help with the clinic. Sister Julienne, Sister Winifred, Fred, Trixie, Phyllis, Barbara, and Tom. Sheila convinces Patrick to go so they can feel that they have done some good after the pain of thalidomide, bringing the total going to nine. They all pack up, including Barbara's unacceptable swimsuit, but not the Christmas cake that Sister Monica Joan offers. In South Africa... The group is stopped by the army, but the nuns greet them with enthusiasm at the Hope Clinic. A less friendly Dr. Myra also greets them. Sister Julienne, Sister Winifred, and Sheila check out the clinic, finding it without electricity and only bare necessities. But they remind themselves of what Sister Evangelina would say. And lastly, Dr. Turner meets Dr. Myra and comes to understand what the hospital can and can't do. Meanwhile, Fred and Tom settle in. So we'll just stop there at the very beginning, because this episode is long. It's a Christmas special, and yeah. there's a lot. But this is a big deal. Them going to Africa? 
Like, they've never left Poplar. This show is about Poplar. So this is a bit of a, in some ways, a bit of a gimmick episode, but a lot of fun and a lot and very interesting. What do you think? Yeah, I was going to say two things. One, uh, something we maybe should have said before we really started is that this episode is often packaged as a two-part episode. We're going to talk about it all at once, which means it's an extra long episode of Call the Midwife and possibly an extra long episode of Popular Opinion. We haven't recorded it yet, but I can't imagine it's going (laughs) to run short. Which is to say, uh, in terms of like talking about it, there is some two-partness to it where the beginning of it is kind of a long way from the ending of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might come up a bit in our, our all through our, our discussion. But in terms of them going to South Africa, like, yeah, when when TV shows film an on-location episode, it does feel a little gimmicky. It's like the Friends Go to Disney World episode. <laughs> There's... Not there, an episode where the friends go to Disney World. I know, but there could be. You know there could <laughs> full, be. Full House goes to Disney World. <laughs> um, and no spoilers, but I don't remember another episode of Call the Midwife until the current episode, like until the present season. There uh, is there is one you're forgetting. It's another Christmas special, though. Okay. Um, they don't do this often, Yeah, is the point. And even, like, back in season one... I think it was. There's like a little uh, time when um, they go on like a little holiday with. Uh, uh, Jenny goes out to the country. Is Jenny goes out of? to the country. Yeah, the... That feels a bit like an on location uh, episode, uh, but it's nothing compared to this. No. And they do like, in case it's not clear, which it is extremely clear, but. Uh, the cast and production did actually go to South Africa to mm-hmm. film this. Um, so, like, both for the cast and the production, this is a big deal. Yeah. And also for the characters, this is a big deal. Like, going to South Africa for... Um, I think they say they're there for four weeks. Or more. I, I feel like it was six weeks, but maybe... I think the original plan is four weeks, and then when they're there, they decide to stay longer. Yeah. So, but the the original plan, because I was calculating when the date is, uh, trying to do a rough calculation on the date when they leave, because it's Christmas, and then um, Sister Julianne says, we will leave in a fortnight, and then they will be there for four weeks. So, like, what's the date while they're there? Yeah. I just was trying to get a, a bit of a handle on. Yeah. Um, For a Christmas special, it is not really Christmas at no. all, besides the first five minutes of the episode. Like, it's February when they leave. Mm-hmm. And that's... So, what you're saying about South Africa, it is a huge deal that they are there. I really enjoy uh, both for the production, like, getting a little bit out of the uh, specific sets. Not that I don't love them, but it is a breath of fresh air to see something totally different. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also uh, kind of expanding the world. A lot of what is good about Call the Midwife is how it is focused on this really one neighborhood. But it's nice to sometimes shift that focus and see that there's a whole wide world out there that isn't just Poplar. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I really like both the conceit and the uh, follow through on this episode and going to a mission hospital in South Africa 
as like a change of venue and perspective both for the show and for the characters. And we've also been hearing about the mission field and in this in the 60s for good or for ill there was a very strong like mission to Africa to various parts of the world and of course Chummy had gone to Sierra Leone. Yeah. And we hear about Chummies coming back from Sierra Leone, but we don't ever see what happens there. So we've all, we've been, you know, in this, in our minds has been that there are other nuns elsewhere. There, It's a real time when there's these nuns all over the world. And so I think it's nice to see in person mm-hmm. this, this world that they uh, are connected to and feel connected to, despite it being very focused on just poplar yeah um i imagine we'll have more to say about that as we go on can we uh pause before we get carried away to south africa too quickly and talk a little bit about we're not in poplar long but we are for a little bit yes um first just the voiceover i often make a big deal of the voiceover and connect it to the theme of the episode and this time i don't know she's talking about she talks about christmas presents. christmas we give presents and babies are presents i don't really see that it's connected to the theme yeah. of the episode in, at all <laughs> it's not really anything different than we've heard before on this babies well, are a gift i feel like this is one Although I am going to say good things about the episode as a whole, I feel like this is one of the most boring uh, voiceovers we get. <laughs> it's just like, why do we give presents? Because we love each other and babies are presents. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> Check. <laughs> Future Jenny still exists, I guess. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this is the only, at the very beginning is the only time in the episode where we see uh, Patsy and uh, who else gets left behind. Uh, Sister Monica Joan gets left behind, but we they call her, so yeah, we see her. That's true. A lot of like the major cast, it's Patsy and who else stays behind? <laughs> I know, like who's actually? <laughs> this is where there's a lot of hand waving of like, uh, they are busy nuns and midwives, and all of them are just like going off to South Africa. Really, uh, <laughs> Sister Mary Cynthia is gone. Yeah. She's gone off to the mother house by now. So yeah, it's it's uh. Not I mean, a lot Delia of lives in the convent exactly. now and is a, a nurse. Yeah, we don't see her do a lot of midwifing, but presumably she's doing it now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, who is keeping down the fort? Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> um, the also while we are still in Poplar, there's uh Fred dressed as Father Christmas and and walking around and I want to flag like when Fred comes in and Trixie is like look all the babies including this one who was delivered by C-section and I helped with the delivery and you're like I, I'm like I know birth is a miracle don't get jaded I guess but this is your perfect profession Trixie you've helped with the delivery of like 20% of all the babies born in Poplar, why are we, like, and I helped! Yeah. <laughs> it's her, her, like, delivery on that is so, like, yeah? <laughs> That's what you do? Yeah. But I don't think she helps with, like, C-section deliveries all that often. And obviously, as we know, this is a setup for later on in the episode, and we'll see her deliver a baby via C-section, but we'll get there. Yes. Uh, I just yeah, I just think it's a bit of a, a 
<laughs> shoehorned in so that you're like, see, see? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I don't think it's, it's, yeah, just so the audience can be like, not mad at the show for having Trixie do a C-section later on. Yep. Also in this section, over Christmas, they toast to absent friends and we have a particular focus on Sister Monica Joan looking sad. Yeah. This is their first Christmas without Sister Evangelina. This is... She's very... She's presence in her absence. And when they get to South Africa, they're looking through all the lack of amenities and the, you know, boiling instead of a... uh, on Autoclave. Autoclave, thank you. And they just are like, well, if Sister Evangelina was here, she would be like, you know, get on with it. And it's just like when the war was on and all that stuff. And I like that. I like that she's mentioned and continues to be a presence. Yeah. And it's, I really like this as the first episode of the next season. The first episode after her death is like, time has passed. They are still sad. They're not actively grieving, but they're still thinking about and talking about her. And she's still on everyone's minds and she's still a presence, uh, even when she's not being spoken of. And I really like that. And like the last episode, I said uh, her death was the last episode Heidi Thomas wrote. And the last episode that... uh, One of the last episodes that Sid McCartney directed was the... uh, kind of start of the thalidomide arc which also we explicitly reference in this Mm. episode with sheila and patrick uh flying away to africa and one of the things that um sheila says about why they need to go for their own sake is they need to go somewhere where the medicine they're giving out is doing help instead of harm yeah like i really like that line being actually said that like we need to do something where I can feel like I'm actually helping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And they decide to fly instead of take a ship because they're swanky. <laughs> <laughs> well, rich doctors, you know. <laughs> um, do we side-eye Fred coming? I, <laughs> I have in my notes, Fred is going to go to South Africa too, for reasons they try to justify, but really amount to, he's in the cast. Exactly. Like. <laughs> Why is Fred, like, there are missionaries who are better trained. Oh, but none who are, have the skills you do, Fred. I'm like, no, there are definitely missionaries who have the skills Fred does. What are you talking about? Yeah. He can drive a truck and do plumbing because of the... More, <laughs> I absolutely side eye Fred coming. Like yeah. I don't. I will say to jump a little bit ahead, and we'll. I'm sure it might come up in your recap. It might not, but to jump a little ahead, he proves himself. Yeah, absolutely. He does good work. Absolutely. But is it work that no one else could do? No, certainly not. Certainly not. But, I mean, it does fall in line with the kind of uh, mission tourism that we see today with people who like, I want to go to a foreign country and help out for the sake of helping out for the sake of my own feelings, all kind of negative or positive things that people think about that. So like that makes sense, but him being invited to come, he just wouldn't be. Yeah. He could come along. He can himself be like, I want to come. Or they can be like, hey, you should come. But there's no way in which Fred is specifically invited the way everyone else on this trip is invited to come. Yeah. I mean, the whole 
trip, the the uh, premise for the trip is a little flimsy, right? Yeah. Because it's the the mother of the, or the, yeah, the mother of the nuns has died. Mm-hmm. And so they're bringing nine people and, like, they need help. I get they need help because someone is missing and they also have been struggling And they're there to assess whether it needs to stay open. And they're there to assess. So, like, Tom coming as the assessor because Sister Julienne can be the one to decide who gets to to do the assessing doesn't... Okay. Uh, The the size of the team doesn't entirely make sense. Yes, exactly. Um, We do get... I mean, speaking of uh, mission tourism, though... Uh, Maybe this is something, maybe this is the appropriate time to bring that up. It might come up again. But, like, Patrick and Sheila are pretty explicitly, they're not invited. (laughs) Yeah. Like, they decide to go because a doctor is helpful Mm -hmm. and uh, they want to make themselves feel better. Yeah. Uh, Like, textually. Yeah. Um, And, like, you said in the 60s there was a real focus on uh, mission, especially mission work in Africa and like we should acknowledge that there is a dark side to that. Yeah. Even in the show, and and the show uh, acknowledges some of that dark side I think, but also in real life even more than in the show. That yeah. like uh, some white people going to Africa to help are uh have all the best intentions and still have negative effects and some don't even have good intentions yeah so like we should just acknowledge that like the image here of of all these white londoners get to go to south africa do clear good that they can feel unambiguously good about and then fly home feeling like they have helped the less fortunate like mm-hmm. it's it's uh it's colonialism exactly i don't know if the show itself reckons with it the way it should be but because we in the end end up feeling good yeah it's, it's a feel good time yeah i think it's more like i think it is complicated in mm-hmm. real life it's less complicated in the show than it is in real life because they decide to make it less complicated yeah but even in real life um there is a dark side, but there is also a, like, community connection and doing practical good with money and volunteer help. Like, that is also has a light side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a positive thing. And helping, like, giving out medicine to sick kids mm-hmm. has a absolutely positive side also. Yeah. Like, I think... I'm trying not to go on a huge tangent, because to make this episode super long, but I just... Um, the complicated feelings that I have of, like, helping individual people and, like, Mm. there should be medicine. In that country, the government, the world, the the world the way it is shouldn't be the way it is. There should be just as much medicine for sub-Saharan Africa as there is for middle of London. Yeah. But there isn't. Yeah. And, uh, and so bringing the richness of your country to a place that needs it and giving it out is a net good. 
It's um, bad attitudes that make it bad. It's uh, an uh, assumption of gratitude that can make yeah. it bad. Is like, you should be so grateful that I'm deigning to come here and give you our medicine. When, no, that's not an okay attitude. So, like, I feel like the action itself is a good, the attitude and the whole, like, worldview mm-hmm. is a bad. And, the, I mean... It reminds me a little bit of, I told a story on Twitter uh, recently of being in a pharmacy and hearing someone uh, who had broken her foot, her leg and didn't have money to pay for a boot. And then a total stranger was like, well, I have a boot you can have and gave her this $150 boot she didn't need anymore for her broken leg. And uh, on one hand, it's a really sweet story of a stranger being kind to a stranger. And on the other hand, this woman shouldn't have to pay $150 she doesn't have to get necessary medical equipment. And so it's kind of a terrible story. Yeah, exactly. And it's the same that, like, an individual uh, giving out medicine to sick children is good. A world where sick children don't have medicine already is bad, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Exactly. So I think in the end, where we have to land on this episode is in the world that they are living in, these people are doing good. And the show does acknowledge, and we'll I think we'll go, come back to this, the world, the South African political landscape mm-hmm. is just there in the background. And let's get to that in a little bit. Yeah. Can we, before we, I want to just like a couple of little notes to touch before we really get to South Africa, which is the locomotion plays as the doctors and nurses and everyone gets ready and packs clothes and gets uh, vaccinations because everyone's doing the locomotion and locomoting (laughs) to Africa. Uh, Sister Monica Joan wants to send a Christmas cake and Patsy is like, uh, (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) And Barbara, how could you even consider a runched one piece? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Barbara wants, Barbara's swimsuit is not up to Trixie's standards. Lucky I've packed an extra boned playsuit. (laughs) Which she doesn't wear. She wears the ugly one when they get there. I know. She, uh, in, in Barbara's face in that scene is not, okay, I will wear your boned playsuit. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Um, I think I'll wear whatever I want. Yeah, exactly. Um, they go to South Africa and they show the direction. We have these landscape, uh, shots mm-hmm. of South Africa and man, South Africa is beautiful. Yeah. Makes me think of the first lines of the book, Cry the Beloved Country. There is a lovely road that runs from Ixopo into the hills. These hills are grass covered and rolling and they are lovely beyond any singing of it. Mm-hmm. And they are not near Ixopo in this uh, episode, but it still is a beautiful country. Mm-hmm. Um, do they say where they're near? They give some villages that don't seem to exist or I couldn't find them on a map. Mm-hmm. Uh, they mention Johannesburg, I want to say. Yeah, but yeah. then they they drive a long way away from yeah. Johannesburg. So, like, the, the city that they talk about a couple of times is Johannesburg, but it's not clear how close it is. Yeah. They don't really make it clear whether is that an hour away or three days away. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, this episode, I said earlier that I did some uh, calculating. 
This episode is set in February of 1962, when it starts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nelson Mandela was captured and imprisoned in August of 1962. So, like, in terms of the politics of South Africa, there really isn't... I mean, a couple of months later, maybe, is more uh, intense politically. But this is, like, a height of uh, political um, volatility Mm -hmm. in South Africa is February of 1962. Uh, Yeah, it's an intense moment in South African history and and political history. Yeah. And we have, like... That in the background through the whole episode, mm-hmm. we don't address it very directly. Yeah. But they're like soldiers stopping them and searching all their passes. And uh, this is like a little nod to South Africa in 1962 is not... Uh, hospitable place. Hospitable place. It's not, <laughs> it's not great. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's interesting... South Africa has some, like, real political issues, but, like, so does Poplar. Why yeah. Why is Poplar this poor place within London? Why is there a part of London that gets to be this rundown and kind of backward compared to the rest of, you know, like, they don't have the amenities that other people across the city have. Like, I guarantee there were, like, indoor plumbing and a bathroom that is just yours within your home was much, was, was the, the norm for the 1950s. But in Poplar, they still have these, like, communal washrooms and things like, like, they almost have the experience of a, a third world country within a first world country. Those are not the right terms. But then, then to take that experience to go to South Africa is, things are different there, but they have experienced poverty in a London way, and now we're experiencing it in a South African way. Yeah, it is uh, one of the first things that happens when they all arrive, uh, and it kind of happens through the first half, I mean, through the whole episode, but uh, we have a few little moments and scenes of everyone, especially Trixie, uh, saying like, Oh, this is really bad. There's nothing. It's, it's, there's no amenities. It's uncomfortable. There's no electricity. Uh, they tour the uh, the clinic, and Sheila's like the, the refrigerator runs on paraffin. There's there's nothing. This this these facilities aren't really up to what they need to be. Mm-hmm. And then like both medically, but then also. Uh, you know, Trixie says, thank goodness the dance set runs on batteries. The dance set <laughs> is at the portable record player. Yeah. Uh, and she's complaining about her mascara and planning to use cucumber on her face. And uh, the sh- I think it is really interesting how there is a clear parallel between... Uh, South Africa and Poplar in and poverty and poor uh, patients. Mm-hmm. And then there's also levels. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, there's Trixie works in and lives in Poplar, but then has a night out and goes off and, and doesn't have to live in poverty herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we saw in, see again in season one, like I keep, this episode keeps pulling me back to season one. 
we saw a lot from Jenny when she first arrived in Poplar of this attitude of like, I can't, they have fleas and it stinks and it's, Mm -hmm. uh, and she gets put in her place. Like, maybe, but that's the reality. Deal with it. (laughs) Yeah. And we have, it's interesting to have kind of the characters who told Jenny to get over it are now the ones who aren't over it. Yeah, and it's Phyllis who puts them in their place. Yeah. I love that, like, poor Barbara has been <laughs> seasick, has been horribly seasick, <laughs> including on Tom. Oh, poor thing. And, but they get there and Phyllis is just like, okay, you've had your sickness time, now suck it up and get to work. And, like, she's 100% right. Except- but it's so, but she's a bit harsh about it. Well, I was gonna say, uh, yes and yes, she is right, and yes, uh, you had your sickness, suck it up, and also just Barbara seasick, and also like has bo and smells bad. Yes, and uh, Phyllis isn't very tactful in pointing it out, but like, well, circumstances are exceptional. Yeah. Um, but uh, just Phyllis is the one who tells them to suck it up, but she also is shrieking about the spider that Barbara kills. So there's yes, a spider, and Phyllis does not have the like. <laughs> Well, just, we're here and we gotta do what we gotta do. Uh, Barbara's the one who is able to handle a spider. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So. Alright, should we continue with the recap? Yes, okay. go ahead. Let's do this. The next morning, they set to work helping patients. Fred tries to fix the, fix the truck, and Barbara works to save a starving baby. Trixie helps a young mum, Rosa, who is pregnant after ten years of waiting. Nurse Crane drives with Fred to help a woman, Fazika, give birth under a tree. That night, the nurses gather around and Trixie teaches Barbara how to smoke. Sister Winifred struggles with a sunburn. Rosa and her friend Constance join them, but after dancing together, the police chase off the black women and demand that the broken-down truck is removed from the lane. Meanwhile, Dr. Myra and the others discuss the issues with the clinic and the low water tank, Tom has noticed. Sister Julianne notices Dr. Myra is in pain, but she brushes it off. So, um, we didn't, she came up in the last recap, but we didn't talk about her. Do you want to talk about Dr. Myra? Yes. So Dr. Myra is the, we have the whole mission hospital here, where, uh, the nuns are doing, you know, nun, nun and nurse work. Mm-hmm. But then Dr. Myra is the doctor. She is Scottish? Irish. 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 I'm so bad with accents sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, who is the kind of harsh, no-nonsense doctor helping all of her patients. And she's the only doctor there. The mm-hmm. only doctor within who knows how many miles. And so... Uh, she a little bit rubs them the wrong way, but also is just a no-nonsense, ready for help as well. Mm-hmm. The we uh, this is a bit of a tiny tangent. We talked about how far away they are. I suddenly remembered there's some mention of like the hospital is like three or four hours away. Yeah. So anyway, she yeah, Dr. Myra is a little aggressive toward the Londoners, but I mm-hmm. get it. Yeah, <laughs> right? absolutely. And this is the like what we were talking about about uh they are um missionary tourists. Mm-hmm. She lives there. Yeah. 
right? And she is a little, uh, like, <laughs> prickly toward them because mm-hmm. she sees them for, like, they're well-intentioned, but they're coming in all judgy and they don't know what they're talking about and they're trying to apply uh, the practices of london where like yeah you think you're you're poor (laughs) yeah your patients are poor you think your clinic is poor you have all the medicine you need Mm -hmm. (laughs) like medicine is never about doing what's easy it's about doing what's essential she says i'm grateful for your help with the vaccination center everything else you can leave to me Mm -hmm. these people and i understand each other yes she says to patrick yeah and like, and it's and also the whole thing about birth control that's been really strong over the past several seasons comes up here. Of you know, bl- babies are a blessing here, and Doctor Turner is like, yeah, of course, babies are a blessing. And she goes, no, I know that in London, in the other, the rest of the world, people are working to try and not have babies. That is not the case here. Yeah, babies are still very much a desired thing. So um, no one there is wanting to get go on the pill. Yeah. She also, uh, like, she feels she is in a lot of ways filling the archetype that uh, Sister Evangelina does. Mm, yeah. She's the, like, uh, a prickly surface with a heart of gold. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, yeah. Um, and she... By the end of what you just recapped, she's got some health problems herself, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll get to later. I want to, like, as a little side note, speaking of these people and I understand each other, I want to go on again. I keep saying a little tangent, but there's so much interesting. Uh, I want to go on a small irrelevancy about the language that they're speaking when mm. they're not speaking English. Yes. It is Nosa, it is, uh, which is a uh, one of the click languages of Africa. Um, there are three clicks in Kosa. Uh, there's the the one that comes at the beginning of the word Kosa, which is like the tick tick at the front of your mouth, like when you're tutting someone that you are disappointed with. And there's one that is spelled with a C, uh, which is like on the side of your mouth, like. And there's one that is spelled with a Q, which is like a uh, your tongue on the roof of your mouth, the loudest one. Like, um, and if you are listening to this podcast right now and you just tried to make all those noises, <laughs> especially if you're in public. <laughs> I have done a little bit of academic work on Hosa, specifically because it's the language that uh, they speak in Black Panther. So I wrote an academic uh, essay on uh, the Black Panther movie. Uh, I really wish I could speak it better, and I just, like, geek out a little when I'm like, ooh, this language is so cool, I know a tiny bit about it. Uh, They, except once late in the episode, uh, none of the white actors click. (laughs) Yeah. Barbara does, eventually. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's love that Barbara, this is a character point of Barbara, she likes languages, she likes to learn languages, so like, it of course makes sense that her character would be the one to mm-hmm. learn languages. She's lear- She learns uh, Saleti yeah. when they're in Poplar, and here she's learning here She learns a little bit of Kosa, and it's really cool. She, I relate to Barbara in the language geekery. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, uh, just, sorry, not also, um, do you want to talk about some of the, like, little de- things? I have a big thing in this section I want to talk about, but do you want to get some of the smaller things out of the way? 
Well, I mean, the starving baby is because the mothers have gone away to try and work, and so it's the grandmother trying to feed a baby that can't get uh, milk. Where, like, we talk, we've talked about that in previous episodes. We, uh, um, about formula versus, versus breast milk and how places like this would not have formula or would have formula with, made with dirty water. And she's not even giving that. She's giving pap, which is like a oatmeal type of or corn thing, yeah. corn mush, which is not, uh acceptable for babies it's gonna starve the baby so uh that is goes along with a theme we've seen all along of like breast is best in terms of like when you're in africa and you have no other choice it really is best Mm -hmm. it's much better than giving them a cornmeal mush um yeah and this is uh the last Again, the two episodes that uh, this director directed last are one about uh, thalamylide and one about uh, breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. So, like, he's coming back to the same theme here. Um, I like, I said earlier that, like, Fred makes no sense here, but in this section, I like Fred. Uh, especially when, in the very first section, when they arrive, he really is the only one who doesn't seem, like, uh, shell-shocked, culture shock. He's like, gotta have a shave and go visit the, uh, Kazi and live where you you live. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All the rest of them are like, I can't believe they don't have electricity! Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I really... I really like Fred's attitude here. Yeah. Uh, is the best one of any of them. Um, on the other hand, Sheila bought a new nighty, which is perfect for a colonial climate, <laughs> which is a little yikes. All right, let's talk a little bit about Fred and Phyllis and the delivering this baby under the tree, which is a a wonderful scene. I love the like getting stuff done-ness of the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the <laughs> insistence. I love uh, nurse uh, Phyllis gets in the truck and like her pain is greater than mine. Give me the keys. Like I am, uh, I am a good driver. I can drive this truck. And Fred is just like, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like both of them in this scene. I love Phyllis for being like, I will drive. I know how to drive. Give me the keys. I'm going to go. And I love Fred for being like, no. No. You need, you need a driver. <laughs> you need a driver. <laughs> yeah. Um, Fred's jokes throughout this whole t- scenes is like, stop it, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, what are you talking about? He does, Like, the zebra crossing joke is funny. The funny that, like, he... Zebra's cross the road and he's like, oh no, zebra, zebra, zebra crossing joke here. Uh, because he recognizes that it like, it's a dumb joke and he shouldn't be making it. Mm-hmm. But then he starts talking to the expectant father about like, I'd have you down at the hand and shears and this is what we do. And like, that guy has, has no, no idea. idea what you're talking about. No <laughs> idea what you're talking about, Fred. You're just like blabbering on. And he's just like, uh-huh. My wife is over there screaming in pain. This foreigner is blabbing about something I know nothing about. Like, Fred, what are you doing? <laughs> like, 
I barely, I barely yeah. know what you are talking about, <laughs> and I uh, watch this show. Watch this show. <laughs> Exactly. exactly. <laughs> the hand oh. and cheers. I have to pause. You mentioned the zebras, and I just can't uh, let that pass without yeah. just saying how cool it is. Yes, <laughs> it is really zebras. cool. I'm with them with, like, cool! Yeah, yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, um, and Fred getting to help with the yeah. birth that he's like, ah. <laughs> But this is the kind of world they're in, is you kind of throw all those those usual things out the window. Sister Evangelina would be horrified at Fred being yeah. there to help out with a birth. Yikes. Is it is Fred preferable to the husband? I don't know. She can communicate with Fred better. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like... Yeah, yeah, I think that probably is the main reason. I was wondering if it's like uh, a... Uh kind of attempt at maintaining the mystery of the relationship which i think is ill uh conceived yeah <laughs> but might be what's behind the idea yeah but i think actually that she can communicate with better with fred is is actually the real reason yeah um can we <laughs> talk about trixie teaching barbara how to smoke oh, it's beautiful <laughs> <laughs> so terrible because by then they like this is after the whole like timothy gets his parents not to smoke thing and like you're aware of how bad smoking is you're health professionals and yet barbara is there like maybe i'll learn how to smoke smoking requires discipline and practice oh <laughs> trixie oh i love, I love her. it I it's love her. adorable and awful and i love it so much trixie yeah. teaching barbara how to smoke and then it comes up later yeah she's like it's a good thing you taught me how to smoke <laughs> yeah. later in this episode yeah exactly um and also um <laughs> sister winifred yes. giving barbara smoking tips <laughs> yes that like passes by almost uncommented on that she's like giving her tips on smoking and then sister winfred also being like i burned underneath all of this i'm a redhead yeah. and you're like oh really yeah. yeah we all know we all we all know you're a redhead under there i love like it's a tiny it's a small moment but i really really like sister winifred in this scene and in this moment yeah um and like, I saw a thing recently on, I was on the Call the Midwife Reddit and they were talking about characters they find annoying and they were like, Sister Winifred was the worst. And I'm like, no, I love her so much. I think she's like sweet and funny and like this great little like young nun. Her relentless her. optimism might be annoying in real life. Yes, that is also true. <laughs> but I, yeah, I agree. I love her. Yeah, and I love her in this scene and this episode, um, and I totally uh, take back uh, all my skepticism about Fred's suitability for this uh, trip. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I, I don't take back that he shouldn't have been invited, but he's like proving himself. He is proving himself in absolutely, all kinds of ways. Absolutely, uh, the truck is ne- is really necessary, and he can piece together a truck from nothing, basically. He, I don't think, like, I uh, stand by, he's not uniquely qualified. No. But, like, he is making himself very useful. Oh, yes, absolutely, uh, absolutely. So, there's, um, I want to talk about 
uh, Trixie and Rosa. Mm-hmm. So, um, Rosa, uh, is a patient of Trixie's who, uh, who is, uh, apparently very pregnant, like, give away the end, the yeah. later half of the episode, it turns out that she isn't. But at this point, uh, very pregnant and they're having, like, a, a, a pretty basic, uh, check-in and Trixie's just talking to her. And Trixie says something offhand about women having to give up jobs just because they're pregnant. Um, and, uh, it is, I think, uh, one of the key moments of the episode of, like, Trixie does not understand the situation that she is in and the woman that she is talking to. And it's this Dr. Myra, I understand my patients, implied, you do not understand these people. And we see it here, that Trixie's talking about women and giving up their jobs while they're pregnant, but uh, Rosa says, you know, they changed the law, so you had to carry a pass to go to the city and stay there and to work. She's talking about race laws in South Africa. Yeah. The pass required to work in the city, of course, is, like, apartheid. Yeah. Uh, Rosa can't work in Cape Town because she's black. Yeah. Uh, It's not because she's a woman. Uh Women were exempted from the past requirements until 1956. Mm. So uh, the men had to have passes to live and work and travel to uh, the city, but women were exempted until 56. So that's why it's like they changed the law. She'd yeah, be it's a recent 1956. Um, she says she couldn't get a pass because that's just how things are. Mm-hmm. But the specific details, which... I totally agree. Show would be clunky and awkward coming out of Rose's mouth in this conversation, so we don't have to say it in the show, but we can say it now. Uh, to get a pass, you would have to have, one, been born in the city and resided there always since birth, or two, have labored continuously for 10 years for any employer, or lived in the area for 15 years, but only white employers counted as employers Mm. and government employees could cancel your pass at any time without cause. Wow. So like, yeah, that is just how things are. Like it's not possible for Rosa to get a pass. And the passes in, uh, were one of the like most symbolic like, most hated and most symbolic aspects of apartheid, mm-hmm. that uh, you have to have a pass to be in the city. And the, the uh, practical, um, like, logistics of how apartheid specifically worked was black people are rural, white people are urban. Mm-hmm. So the cities are for white people unless you have a pass, which you can't get. Yeah. Uh so that's like the we see that kind of on the background through the whole uh, episode, and we see it in this section you just recapped when the white police, we say soldiers, but they're like armed police. Yeah. When the white police come and break up the dance because yeah. they can't be dancing together because the white nurses can't be dancing with black uh, patients. Mm-hmm. Um. Because like. Can't have a gathering like that. Can't have a gathering like that. And this is like, you know, apartheid does not end uh, for a long time Mm -hmm. after this. But this is like really as it's 
getting ramping up to its worst. Yes, absolutely. Um, the other woman around the the fire here, sitting around with them, is Constance. Mm-hmm. So she tells her story of she had uh, she's had babies before. Some have died in the womb. Some have died in her arms. And so this is the baby that she's praying that will live. So we have uh, Rosa, who is been waiting to get pregnant for 10 years and that's her like dream and we have Constance who is just wanting a healthy alive baby to be born so this is again like babies are a blessing this is a big deal that these women are pregnant and that these nurses can help them in any way they can but that way does not include socializing whatsoever in according to the law yeah but they wouldn't have known that information about Constance. So later on, when Constance goes into labor, Trixie knows this information about her, knows that she's lost these babies and will and does everything she can to save her and her child. Yeah. That's why it's important to have a relationship with your patients. I think... I mean, I, I, I suspect they would have done everything they could anyway, but yeah. the, like in, ter- in story terms, right... Uh, the story is really emphasizing how uh, Trixie is extra motivated because she has a personal relationship with this woman because she knows her story. This is the, like a major theme of Call the Midwife throughout is whole care. Uh, mm-hmm. And that like part of what caring for them means is knowing who they are. Yeah. I would see that in Dr. Myra. I yes. know my patients. You can't just drop in, mm-hmm. have your appointment systems, and you're like, uh, I don't have any appointment system because my patients know when they're ill, and she doesn't say in words, but she elsewhere shows, like, my patients know when they're ill, and I know when my patients are ill because I know my patients. Yeah, <laughs> Because exactly. I live here and I know their names. And when they come, I like, you know, the when the guy, when the, I, his name is something like Innocent. Uh, the father that of the baby that Fred Yeah, Mr. Manguzu is his last name. So I don't uh, he comes running up and uh, Myra, Dr. Myra knows his name and that he has tuberculosis and that his baby, like. Yeah, that his wife is his having wife a baby. His wife is having a baby. Yeah. And that's just a little, like, background moment that she knows the people here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, like, a major theme of the whole show, <laughs> the whole series, that uh, medical practitioners knowing the people that they're caring for is good, is important. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that relates back to our pers- our lives right now, is that our dentist, we have, like, just this really good dentist dental practice that we go to and i was like go i was at the dentist and mentioned my kids and my and the dental hygienist was knew their names that they were like oh they come in all the time usually it's their dad so i didn't realize that you're their mom who brings them in and like that was so reassuring that's just like a dentist like it really is important like that relationship with your care provider Oh, anyway, <laughs> it's just, you can probably edit that out, but it's just, it's important for life. <laughs> Sister Julian and Tom and Fred and the Turners are talking with Dr. Myra about like what can be done, can Hope Clinic stay open, etc. And the water is a major issue, is that they yeah. have a water tank coming from a source 
that is not that is very low and dr myra mentions and it becomes a major plot point later that they have to lay a pipe across someone else's land and that someone will not give them there yeah but someone won't give permission won't give permission when i mean we know how stories work so we know what's going to happen next but uh the like water is a big deal in this whole episode in this whole uh plot anything else in this section so many little things but uh we could um maybe keep moving on there's a montage yes. of pulling teeth and pulling out worms Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the next day the nuns and nurses attend church fred fixes the truck and vaccines are distributed around to the villages fred and tom find the source of the water discovering it low and full of mud Sheila and Barbara meet a boy, Abel, and his brother, Matthias. They have come a long way for the polio vaccine, but Matthias is al- has already contracted polio and cannot walk. Dr. Turner must take their hope away, and, they are heart- and he is heartbroken. When they arrive back at the clinic, they find a sick Dr. Myra, who confesses that she has liver cancer with no hope of recovery. Tom visits the landowner, Mr. Stark, who has access to the water source, to a new water source, really. He's focused on his lost family and refuses to help. Trixie and Barbara are called to help Rosa, who is in labor at home. She's tired and sick, and when Trixie examines her, she finds that there is no baby. Everyone is devastated at the news. Later, all the Londoners spend their time at the beach, but struggle to relax, especially Barbara. Trixie offers Tom a a bit of advice on Barbara and encourages him to get her a brand new ring when the time is right. So I kind of want to start with um, Dr. Myra and something that I think technically happened in the last chunk that you uh, recapped, but we didn't talk about it then and it kind of continues to pay off now, which is she has a talk with uh, Sister Julianne about her faith. Mm -hmm. Um... She says, I've been here so long, I can hardly recall my state of faith when I arrived. I'm driven by people's need now, not my own beliefs. Don't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, the don't tell anyone is, like, she's not exactly subtle about it. No. So, but she's, uh, you know, the doctor at a mission hospital who is not, who is an atheist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is... A uh, statement about I can hardly recall my state of faith when I arrived does imply that she was driven by faith at first. Mm-hmm. But now she's driven by people's needs. And then that is kind of the... Um, a the Her perspective on being driven by people's needs is a, uh, I think, statement of purpose for the whole episode. A statement of theme for the whole episode being about uh, what's needed. And then it kind of plays out in this section that she is the one who has a need. That the uh, she doesn't want to accept that she has a need. She doesn't want to accept uh, Dr. Turner's help, really. Um, so she has self-diagnosed with uh, liver cancer and the reason that the Nottis House people are there in the first place is because the a mother died 
and now there's a real uh, possibility that this uh, clinic is also going to lose its doctor. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, do you have any thoughts about all of that? I I think it's interesting that um, Dr. Turner, we haven't talked about it in a very long time, but he has said in the past that he does not have a faith. He's mm-hmm. never... And so it's interesting to show that doctors seem to lose or not have uh, beliefs as much, which is an interesting perspective for this show to take. I don't know if I have a lot to say on that, but I feel like that's an interesting perspective for this show to take. Is that is it saying something about when you get more education or knowledge, you tend to rely less on uh, religion? which I don't personally think is true, but I think this show may be saying that. It may be. I think, I wonder, Dr. Turner has said that in the past. We, we see him and Sheila sharing their perspective an awful lot. Mm-hmm. I wonder whether she is persuading him to see things differently. Yes. Uh, but anyway, so that's all going on in the background. And then speaking of uh, need... The other major need for the community in this episode and in this section is for water. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have Fred and Tom look for the source of the water. There's clay in it. It's too low. They like it's just not uh, suitable mm-hmm. as a source. So the the big water tank has clay in it because there's clay in the source, and the the water is brown. Um, I, I'm like, you don't want clay in your water. I gotta be like, if your water is brown, clay is one of the best case scenarios. <laughs> There's a lot of things that could be a lot worse. Uh, you're not wrong, but that clay has things yes. that are just as bad as what you're thinking of. Yes, I'm like being flippant. But yeah, mm. they need real good clean water that they can use for washing and drinking. They're yeah. like rationing the water here and... As we go forward, you haven't really talked about it yet because we haven't gotten to it yet, but it starts now that they're going to more and more for the rest of the episode be rationing water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people are falling ill because of it. People have like uh, diarrhea and I, the, I can't remember what it's called. Not diphtheria. The other one. Uh, anyway. Typhoid? No. The one where you just like poop and poop. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, don't write in. Um, it's <laughs> anyway because like, and it gets worse because you can't clean yourself. You can't clean your your instruments. Yeah. Other people get ill because of it. Like it's just a perpetuating thing that can happen with unclean water. Yep. So they, uh, I have my notes that dysentery. they have oh, dysentery. Dysentery. Yeah. It's what you die of in Oregon Trail. <laughs> I just have in my notes that uh, they have uh, enteric fever, which mm. is typhoid. Yeah. Uh, it's just another name for typhoid. Enteric fever yeah. is also going around. Um, they need water is the point. Yep. Um, and they, they uh, we saw it, we, we anticipated it and predicted it in the last little recap section, but uh, 
they need the water to go through someone else's land and someone else wouldn't give permission and we have the first step of Tom goes and asks permission and Tom is not good enough. We need to go over Tom's head. Yes, we sure do. <laughs> we need someone better than Tom to go and ask permission. I wonder who that could be. Yeah. Uh, there's the... Um, I mean, the, the water plot's gonna uh, pay off more in the next section, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. But we need to mention it. Um, the two boys who come, uh, one of whom is, who come to get a polio vaccine and one of them has had polio already, that is, uh, a specific callback to Timothy having polio, like, in the, for the show, but especially for the characters, for Dr. Turner, uh, rarely, (laughs) doesn't very often talk about how his son had polio yeah uh but you can it motivates this entire vaccine campaign is that yes he is, he's always been very pro let's vaccinate against things and polio was the first one we really saw and this and we see it again here <clears throat> and i mean this whole story is heartbreaking like his this boy has walked for miles with his brother on his back being like i will he thinks he has to pay he thinks that you know, don't give it to me, give it to him. And there's like, oh, it's so heartbreaking that I'm sorry. You know, I can, we can give him. They even so nicely, like, we can give him a vaccine, but it, it won't make a difference. It it's not going to difference. cure him. I That's such a little moment, but it is like an important one, I think. Mm-hmm. That, yes, we'll give him the vaccine anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we're not going to refuse to give it to him. Yeah. But, like, the vaccine prevents polio. It doesn't cure it. It doesn't help once you already got it. Mm-hmm. And the, um, this whole uh, little story is so personal for Dr. Turner. It's both because uh, the boy has polio, which ties back to Timothy, but also the older brother... Um, I'm forgetting their names, but... It Matthias is the older brother. Matthias is the older brother. I didn't write it down. No, no, sorry. Abel is the older brother. Matthias is the younger brother. Gotcha. Abel says, I've heard that this is good medicine. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Turner says, all medicine is good. And he, you can see on the performance, he, like, recognizes as he says it that it's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole... One of the whole motivators of them going in the first place, is that he was just giving out medicine that wasn't good. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I've heard this is good medicine. All medicine is good. Uh-huh. Except the lidomide. Except just when it's out. not. Yeah. Uh, and, like, this medicine isn't going to help uh, Matthias. Matthias. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I like, too, that they don't really... It's it's just in his face. Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't spell it out. Spell it out or make a big deal of it. That mm-hmm. like he says all medicine is good. I'm like, mm, is it though? <laughs> yeah. Um. We also have a little moment in this section that I have to shout out before we get to the sadder part, yeah. <laughs> which is of Sheila going to, to town and uh, 
goats follow her around. <laughs> I was going to mention the same part. <laughs> like, nice goats, nice goats. <laughs> she so all, all the goats following her around is so funny. <laughs> and you experienced that firsthand when you were in Uganda, eh? I did, yes. <laughs> yeah, goats are like, in, in rural Uganda where I was, there were goats everywhere, and they are very, uh... You know, you might say friendly. <laughs> you might say uh, aggressive. They're not trying to hurt you, but they like are totally getting in your face, like this uh, depicts. And I think I might have even told this story on the podcast before because it was such a funny moment to me uh, as a Canadian. But we drove in to uh, Kampala. And as we're driving in, the a goat runs across the street in front of the taxi, and the taxi driver goes, "Ah, city goats!" <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought that was very funny. Yep, <laughs> city goats. It's different than normal goats. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we move do, on. We talk to... about Rosa. Yes, let's move on to Rosa. Uh, this is. Uh, absolutely devastating i'm surprised that when she came earlier to get checked out they didn't check the heartbeat at all she left that was a thing she left before she could get a prenatal exam she this is a this was a moment that she was talking to trixie and then trixie got called away and when trixie came back she was gone and trixie talks to her friend like rosa was supposed to get an exam and the the friend is like, oh, she had to go home because her mother needed help. So she, uh, okay. it, it was textual that she ran away before she could get a, an exam mm-hmm. because she's too busy. Uh, she, she got her own health checked out, but not like only barely. Mm-hmm. And she didn't get any of the like actual prenatal exam right. done. So that's why. So they arrive, uh, being told that she is in labor, and even before, like, even before the midwives know anything, uh, we've seen enough depictions of labor on this show that it isn't, doesn't look like it usually does, mm-hmm. right? And the two of them are exchanging looks from the first moment they enter. Yeah, because she is, uh... She has pain, but it's not contractions. Mm-hmm. And there's like, I forget exactly what the first clue to me was, but it was early on was like pain, but not contract, but not mm-hmm. pushing. Yeah. Just pain. Yeah. Uh, so she's having spasms and pain, but not contractions because she's not pregnant. It's a phantom pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And we've had like early Dr. Myra said, uh, babies are a gift here and we had a whole conversation with Trixie and Rosa about she's you know been trying to have a baby for what ten was years, it 10 years yeah. and she's and all of their hope all of like her family's hopes are pinned on her <clears throat> and that's at the same time uh makes the phantom pregnancy extra tragic but also is literally the entire reason for the phantom pregnancy. Yes, exactly. Right. So it's not just that it's like, by coincidence, she happened, it happens to be an extra tragic phantom pregnancy. It's like, no, that's 
the only reason that that happened in the first place. Mm -hmm. What Trixie says, uh, it's because she's been forced into a wretched, filthy, narrow life where her only worth comes from what she can grow in her womb. Mm -hmm. Oof. Yes, exactly. Oof is right. She's, uh, Trixie mentions that she's seen this before. Mm Mm-hmm. Which wasn't on the show. I don't think we've had it actually on the show. But it makes sense that, like, Trixie is an experienced midwife. And we're seeing that throughout this episode, I feel like, especially. As we move forward in the show in general, Trixie becomes... Trixie's the one who sticks around. And so she becomes, you know, the, the main midwife and the person who's the most experienced. And that's why she's able to, later on, be the one who does the C-section... And this moment is, in terms of the structure of the episode, as far as Trixie's character, this is like a turning point of the episode, Mm -hmm. that we've seen aspects of her character from the beginning, and we've seen it definitely through the show. But in this episode, we start off the first half of the episode really emphasizing Trixie's shallowness, Mm -hmm. and like, she's wearing mascara, and it's running, and she thinks... think heavens the the uh dance set is battery powered and you can't uh wear an ugly bathing suit you have to wear a fashionable one and she's gonna wear uh cucumbers on her eyes and we're really pushing in the first half of the episode trixie is shallow and uh doesn't understand where she's going and what is needed Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then we see her kind of rise to the occasion here especially in her uh, medical skill but then also through Rosa the like uh, getting a sense of uh, contact uh, getting a sense of uh, context isn't the word of like proportion yeah getting a sense of scale scale of of, uh, who she is and who these people are and who they are to each other and who she is to them and like she she starts to get it and we see her get it through this. And frankly that's what makes Trixie such a compelling character is that she uh has these layers and complexities to yeah. her. Totally agree. But if we had her if we had someone who which we do some of them are like uh totally compassionate from the beginning then i'm like well but are they though (laughs) is that self-centered compassion is that like they think they understand do they whereas trixie (laughs) does not think she understands from the beginning or like she you know the show does not think that trixie uh is uh I don't know. I just, I did so much more compelling. Mm-hmm. Trixie, who who starts off clearly not uh, understanding her her position here, mm-hmm. and then she rises to it as the need happens, and it connects to Doctor Myra. Like I'm driven by my parent, my patients, my parents. I'm driven by my patients' need. Medicine is about doing what's necessary, and Trixie is like. I can wear mascara and talk about cucumbers when uh, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. And when it does matter, then I'm mad about the, my patient's 
wretched, filthy, narrow life, and I know what to do medically to help her. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then we have... I, do you have more to say about... I don't. Do you have more to say about this... Uh, Rosa? Only that we see... Um, there was a reference earlier into the witch doctor chanting mm, outside, and then we yes. see that physically that there's a the witch doctor uh, there chant outside the the door that they don't really interact with. This is again, um, they're in this place, and we see just hints of another world, but we can't interact with every single one of them, which transitions us to the beach scene. Yes, where we see. They they do this shot into the beach, and there's a sign that says whites only. Yep. For the beach. That is never commented on, never mentioned. It's just there. Yeah. Like the police, like the talking about uh, passes and things. This is just much like when we're in Poplar, we experience Poplar as it is. This is, they're going to South Africa, and there's things there, and they aren't doing overarching social change they're not trying to you know they're not going to go down there and fix racism like that's not going to happen much in the way that they don't go down there don't go to poplar and fix poverty it's not uh uh, call the midwife meets nelson mandela yeah exactly (laughs) i can i just am laughing because i can imagine a uh like i accuse this show which i love very much of being melodramatic and heavy-handed sometimes but i can imagine and a more heavy-handed show them like passing by a man on the street and being like oh what's your name young man it's nelson you know like can't you imagine a crappier show doing (laughs) something like that and like have the there is a white savior complex going on on this show Mm -hmm. in this episode by the characters, I think. Yeah. I don't think by the show. Yeah. And one of the differences is they aren't fixing racism. Yes, exactly. They're going to their whites own to the whites only beach because that's where they can go. And the I'm loud suddenly the the idea of like a much worse show. A much worse show where they meet Nelson Mandela. Yeah. Which they could have he was around at the time. Yep. It's not quite arrested yet. Um, yeah, and they're not like, we're going to bring our patients onto this whites-only beach and break the rules and, you know, yeah. all that stuff. No, it's just there because that is the way it was. And that's that's way more realistic to life. And it yeah. sucks. It's not right. No. But it's there. Yeah. So I really, I like that uh, set decoration point or whatever, that little... And also, yeah, absolutely. Out. And I like, again, I really like moment when they managed to which i think the cutting right from this uh she's been forced into a wretched filthy narrow life right to let's uh have our holiday on the whites only beach Mm -hmm. is like i think playing the right line between they are uh the characters are good and trying to help and trying to do the right thing but they are not supernaturally too good for this world Mm mm-hmm yeah. Yeah, exactly. But also it's, like, painful. Yeah. Barbara's in her bad swimsuit. She um, is wearing the runched yeah. one piece. <laughs> With the modesty panels. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this conversation between Tom and Barbara... Ha- Tom, sorry, no, Tom and Trixie mm-hmm. has been coming a long time. 
yeah. that Trixie admits that she saw coming a long way away, that he liked Barbara, which we saw that all in looks and in yes. tiny hints. I really like that she admits this, that like, you didn't have to like tell me or come like, or hide it from me or whatever. I saw it before you did. Mm-hmm. That you would like her and you did like her. And the advice that she gives about, like, get her... She's had too many hand-me-downs and don't let her be my hand-me-down. Yeah. Just... Yes. And it's it also, just speaking of, like, the just the scene before being a turning point for Trixie's character development within the episode, is, like, I love this moment that reframes her being judgmental of Barbara's swimsuit. Mm-hmm. She's not judgmental of Barbara's swimsuit. She is protective of Barbara. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. I love also how they're the two of them talking about how lovely and clever Barbara is while in the background Barbara is flailing around trying to hit a birdie with a racket like an absolute <laughs> child. I know. <laughs> it's so funny. It's such a funny like I mean like why is she trying to play badminton by herself? Like it makes no sense. <laughs> it makes no sense. In world it makes no sense. But it's just Charlotte Ritchie being really funny. Yeah, exactly. I'm like that setup of her just like trying to hit a birdie and failing. Yep. While they're like, she's clever. She's so clever. Yeah. <laughs> Get her something brand new because she deserves it. Yes. And I don't know. I don't think that she quite makes explicit, don't make her be my hand-me-down. But yeah. I like that Definitely. being the subtext is mm-hmm. is absolutely... Dr. Myra consents to being examined, but refuses to use any anesthetic. Tom, Fred, and Mr. Monsgulu work to dismantle pipes so they can go to the new water source. They decide to go around the land instead. Dr. Myra tells the story of Mr. Stark and why he hates Hope Clinic. She later collapses, and they take her to the hospital. Sister Julianne visits Mr. Stark to try her hand at convincing him. Trixie helps Constance in labor, but finds that she needs a C-section, and so Trixie performs it without, without the doctor. Mr. Stark arrives and agrees to the pipe being laid across his land. Dr. Turner and Sheila bring home good news of Dr. Myra and Timothy's old leg braces for Matthias. At the water, at the water source, Tom proposes to dot Barbara with a blade of grass. The water arrives with much joy and celebration for everyone. Mature Jenny narrates about blessings as we see Rosa appointed as new administrator and Dr. Myra return in health. So a lot happens in this chunk, but let's talk about Dr. Myra. Okay. She has uh, been refusing to get examined at all she's just like i know i have cancer and dr turner in all his uh patriarchal glory is like (laughs) maybe you don't and i mean he's right but like maybe you don't (laughs) i okay about the diagnosis i have three feelings that one are i don't think it's i mean maybe it is i don't think it's necessarily uh patriarchal that uh patients are bad i mean doctors Doctors, are bad patients whether they're women or men 
and doctors self- who self-diagnose yeah. are wrong. Yeah, like self-diagnosis that, is not a good idea. I think. Uh, I also think, though, the whole plot that Dr. Turner can find a different diagnosis for Dr. Meyer, like, just because he looks through the books and thinks of a different diagnosis doesn't mean his new diagnosis is right. That yeah. is just so far-fetched. I don't, exactly. I like, it doesn't make any sense in world that like, I looked, especially the way that they frame it to us. Like, I looked through my books and I found another diagnosis. That's what she has? Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, like, it's, it's just like, yeah, I, I look through your books is so dumb. Like, just, okay, do some tests on her. Yes. Examine her. This is what needs to be done. And eventually it is what's done. Yeah. And it makes sense. But, like, that he would come to any conclusion before he's examined her, what? That That's makes no, no sense. sense. Yeah. That I found another diagnosis that exists, and then it happens to be what she has. It, like, pulled me so out. Yeah, I agree. Um, she uh, also, like... This part doesn't pull me out. Uh, this is extremely, I think, realistic in character. And now I'm mad at uh, her as a character, I think, written well. Is that, like, she won't take any anesthetic. She won't take any treatment. Patients, patients first. And I mean my patients, not yours. And, like, Dr. Myra, what are your patients going to do without you? Yeah, exactly. Like, you need you getting help helps them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, it's, it's uh it's but it's that's the where the realism is that that's totally yeah. what happens is people get this narrow-minded view of I can't take care of myself I need to take care of other people and that is something that happens to to so many people this is such a common experience often like mothers it's the whole like put on your own oxygen mask before assisting others is if you pass out you can't help anyone yeah and like I see, I do actually see, uh, she lets them, uh, treat her. She just won't take anesthetic because anesthetic Mm. is just to make her more comfortable. It's not actually necessary for her care. Yeah. It's like, but, oh, geez, Louise. Yeah. Uh, if you aren't okay, literally what is going to happen to these people? Mm -hmm. Which is also, by the way, rough to like, there's one doctor and no one is replacing her. Yeah. And she's okay this time, but she's not going to live forever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so there's like in her whole story we they take they send her away to the hospital which we said earlier uh is like should give us a a bit of a sense of where geographically they are. Um but I didn't look at the map when they sent her off to the ha- hospital. I looked at the map earlier, so I don't know where they are. They're a couple hours out couple of hours uh, out. Cape Town. Um, I when I was thinking about this episode, I was like, well, why does you know Sheila and Doctor Turner go with her? Shouldn't they stay and be the doctor? But I realized that, and and like, why not send someone else who knows things? But they need to have the white male doctor yeah. with her. They it's. Not only South Africa, it's also the 50s. They need, like... 60s. 60s, sorry. They need to have the the authority of a white male doctor with her. They maybe don't need Sheila, but... They maybe don't need Sheila, you're right. But, uh... Yeah, they need they Patrick. They need him. They need Patrick with them. 
a letter or a note from Patrick is not going to cut it. Yeah, exactly. And they can't send anyone from the village because they won't be allowed in town. Yeah. And she recovers off screen, mm-hmm. uh, which I feel like is fair enough. We don't yeah. need to see Patrick. He he could come back and he they agreed to use experimental medicine. And like, we did not need to show on screen him begging for the experimental medicine, which they were are definitely going to give her because it's... Uh, yeah. The plot. Um, so she recovers off screen and that's fine. Yeah. But you're right. She would not have gotten the treatment she needed if Patrick wasn't there personally advocating for her with the authority of a white man. And I think they don't ever say this, but I would say uh, English also carries yes. weight. Yeah, absolutely. So because she leaves and he leaves... They are left with only nurses to care for their patients, and this is, and if Trixie hadn't then stepped up, and I'm jumping ahead a bit, but if Trixie hadn't then stepped up and said, I'm going to perform this C-section, that patient would have died, and that's what will happen in this hospital if Dr. Myra doesn't return. Yeah. Or some other doctor comes to replace her. Yeah. Let's talk about Trixie and the C-section, which, Mm -hmm. by the way, is... Uh, why at the start of this episode I was like, why is Trixie bragging about I helped? Yeah. Uh, and this is why. Because, I mean, I think it's a little clunky in that moment the way that it's written and performed, but they drew attention, the show drew attention at the start of the episode to Trixie assisting with a C-section at the start of this episode so that we, the viewers, remember that she has the experience to plausibly perform a C-section herself. Well, it makes sense because we wouldn't assume that she had. Yeah. Because all we ever see is natural childbirths. They go to the hospital if they get C-sections. So why would she have? But yeah, yeah, but she has. I still think so, it's a little clunkily done, but it yeah. is like they have established within the context of the episode that she personally has the experience that it is plausible that she can perform a C-section. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, Otherwise, why wouldn't it be Sister Julianne? Yeah, exactly. Sister Julianne just doesn't have the hutzpah, though. I know. Like, this is takes a lot for Trixie to be like, no, I can do this. And I for them, them to all support her. And like, to have Sister Julienne consent to this is a big deal, too. And Barbara helps. And Barbara, once again, uh, demonstrating that she has more backbone than she seems to if you yes, only look absolutely. at the surface. That we have, this is like a minor three beat uh, with Barbara. That Barbara uh, killing the spider... She'd show a little backbone and then she kills the spider. And then we have the conversation about her with uh, uh, Tom and Trixie that, like, there's more to her than there is if you just look at the surface. And then here, her backing Trixie up is showing medical backbone in a way that uh, just confirms that she has more backbone than you would think if you only look at the surface. Yeah, absolutely. But I remember watching this episode for the first time being, like, Trixie being so impressive in the second in the back half of the episode yes and this like uh is a huge achievement for Mm -hmm. her yeah and it's played as one and i think watching the not only this episode but the whole series up till now like Mm -hmm. this is a huge step and a huge achievement for trixie and she's successful Mm -hmm. and uh 
yeah, and not just as you say the like the confidence and the uh, um, initiative and ambition to like not just the medical skills, but the like I am going to do it and I'm going to take responsibility for it. I'm going to be in charge of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, like they don't really make this text, but it's just barely in the subtext that like. And if it goes wrong, it's going to be on me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Trix is very impressive in the back half of this episode, and in this moment especially. Mm-hmm. So the other thing in the back half of this episode is Mr. Stark and the water pipes. Mm-hmm. So he is... We hear his story um, with him off screen from Dr. Myra, which I like. I like that Like they don't have to go to the to his door and then he tells them the story and then they come yeah. back again and convince him. It's Dr. Myra says, you know, his wife had to come here to deliver their child and they both died. And that and he blames me. And he blames me specifically for this. And and then Sister Julienne, I okay, first of all, like we've been saying this since the beginning of the episode, but like Sister Julianne can't perform the C-section, but she can talk to Mr. Stark (laughs) when no one else can. (laughs) Like, and this is what we've seen of her the entire show. Yeah. Like, yeah, Tom's not going to convince Mr. Stark, but Sister Julianne is. Yes, exactly. (laughs) This is like the big guns coming Mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. Um, Exactly. She comes in and she says, I'm sorry. And uh, he says no like uh why are you sorry you didn't do it this is the third time in the episode that we draw attention to the phrase i'm sorry as Mm. an expression of condolence or sympathy Uh, and i don't know exactly what to make of it but it's like three times we have an english character saying i'm sorry and a south african character being like why are you sorry yeah it's just i think it's just highlighting the cross-cultural communication mm-hmm. and the uh what does it really mean to say i'm sorry when you didn't do anything it's interesting um the other th- uh thing to draw our attention to in this uh in all the mr stark scenes is once again not commented on he has mm. someone watering his lawn he has a black man watering his lawn yep he lives on, an, like, not very far from where the Hope Clinic is and has a completely different life, a completely different home, a completely, like, modern, like, everything is different where he lives. The two things that he has, yeah, uh, a black man watering his lawn and also he has a black man watering his lawn. <laughs> Those yeah, are two exactly. different things exactly. that are both, like... He's, a uh, you know, um, again, we don't need to go enormously in depth on it, but uh, white South African farmers were some of the people who advocated most for apartheid mm-hmm. um, because, you know, they are landowners and, and they want to maintain their power. Mm-hmm. So he's a, you know... He has water enough and money enough and land enough and uh, uh, it's such a stark uh, contrast. Mm-hmm. 
they make I find it uh, interesting they make him and they do this explicitly they make him motivated by grief and not racism mm-hmm. um, and that's I think because it is possible it seems possible to talk him past his grief in one heartfelt conversation with Sister Julianne in a way that it is not plausible for to just talk him out of his racism in one conversation. Yeah, I think that's a wise choice on the show's behalf. Right. So you can talk to someone like Sister Julianne and see past your grief and move forward, but it just isn't plausible mm-hmm. that, like, you'd talk him out of racism. So he has to not be racist to start with. Yeah. <laughs> you or, know. or not... Not, yeah, I yeah. mean, like, not motivated, motivated by racism to deny them water. Yeah, that exactly. is. Yeah. But I also would like that he's not convinced in this conversation. Yeah. He doesn't consent to the water pipe in this conversation. It's not until later when he arrives, he sees the baby that Sister Julianne is trying to wash and can't without water. Dum-dum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. That's really well done. Especially the, like, you wash a baby. I remember the water baby. Yeah, I can't because we don't have water. And like, it feels like he's convinced by Sister Julianne to come. Uh, and maybe it doesn't logically make total sense. Why is he there if he hasn't already agreed? But I don't know. He He's there because he's softening. Yeah, exactly. And it's when he sees that they can't wash the baby is like the moment when he's like, okay, <laughs> you yeah. can have water. You can you can uh, run a pipe through my land. Yeah. yeah, he's not, I mean, let's be technical. He's not allowing or denying them water. He's allowing or denying them uh, permission to lay a pipe across his land. Mm-hmm. But functionally, that means denying them water. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and t- the end of the water story uh before we there's a few little bits to talk about but let's end the water story before we do that is they successfully run the pipe uh it seems a bit like tempting fate to invite everyone to come witness the water being turned on for the first time <laughs> I know, right? but, okay sure it sure, works it's it works. good <laughs> maybe they they secretly tested it already before they invited everyone yeah, yeah. <laughs> they really play it as if like we are going to turn this on for the very first time everyone within earshot come watch yeah exactly <laughs> uh and then there's water, and there's lots of water, and they're dancing in the water, and I feel a bit, uh, like, yes, there's a spring, but don't, like, waste the water. Yeah, <laughs> but, I know, <okay>. right? <laughs> <laughs> but okay, it's a spring, there's lots of water now. They're getting clean while they're dancing. Yes, it's true, <laughs> it's true. You gotta take advantage of the clean water to clean yourself. Yeah. So um, I want to mention Matthias gets Timothy's old leg braces. And yeah. it's cool because we saw um, Sheila making a phone call to Sister Monica Joan and asking for something, but we didn't hear what. So then they show up at uh, the Turners show up back at the at the hospital with a cake from Nanata's house and then something else. Oh, it's these leg braces. It's these things that we still had, frankly, like just kicking around their house because yep. they didn't even think of giving it to anyone else. I really think this is well done. This is like mm-hmm. when Sheila's being followed by the goats. We didn't mention it at the time, but she's 
she's being followed by the goats because she's going in to call Nanata's house and we don't know what it's for. She talks mm-hmm. to Sister Monica Jones. She says, "You, so I left a key to water my plants." Sister Monica Jones says, "Yes, honesty requires a poor report on the begonias." <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, "I don't care about the begonias." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's something in my house, and I should have maybe seen it, but I didn't know no. like what I didn't make any guess what she was asking for from mm-hmm. her house. Absolutely. Uh, and then it's the best kind of kind of concealed information from the audience that when it is revealed it's like of course (laughs) that's what it was they don't even mention timothy at all like they do not like they have this whole polio storyline and it's all under the surface it's only if you know dr turner mentions him to matthias okay my son my boy my boy okay had or something like there's there's a brief mention but it's it's really brief yeah and then uh they can't cure Matthias. They are they can't undo the polio, but they can give him the leg braces, which mm-hmm. means he can walk. Yeah. Because it's I don't know it's the, how polio works. No. He has feeling but no strength. He's yeah. not like so he's, he can build up his strength with the yeah. leg braces and eventually not need them. Just like Timothy doesn't. Need yeah, them the medicalness of it, like with polio, you're not he's can't move he's not paralyzed because he has feelings so leg braces help him build up his strength i guess mm-hmm. i don't know maybe i'm getting the medicine wrong but that seems like uh, what happens we, we're we're not that kind of doctor not that kind of doctor <laughs> um but it's like i really felt like matthias was hopeless mm-hmm. like there was nothing they could do for him yeah. Uh, so it, it's real. Was like a. Uh, it's like this moment of uh, such a delightful surprise of oh, <laughs> things are not as bad as I thought they had to be. Um, which I really like. Yeah, and we opt for the super happy ending because it's called the midwife. So Rosa recovers and becomes the administrator because she has all this experience being a secretary. Um. How do they afford Dr. a clinic administrator? I guess renewed funding? Yeah. Dr. Myra comes back. They, yeah, Tom gave a good report and got funding. All of that happens. Um, I don't know, but yeah, okay. <laughs> and the super happy ending of Tom proposes to Barbara. <laughs> yes, with a blade of blade grass. Of adorable. Which, like, yeah, give me your thoughts. Let's end on there and give me your thoughts about the blade of grass. I think it's sweet. I think it's uh, it's so much more fitting to to Barbara than like when you think about how Trixie got proposed to by Tom with a fancy ring, and that's very Trixie. And this is Barbara. I would marry you with anything. I love you. But here's a blade of grass, and like I'll replace it with a ring, kind of promise. But like no one has ever touched this before. Yeah. This is the, yours and yours alone. When uh, Trixie says, give her something new, you know Trixie is imagining a new new jewelry that is fancy because Trixie w- wants something fancy. Even though Trixie is, like, insightful enough to know that Tri- that Barbara doesn't need or want what Trixie needs or wants. She, like, <laughs> I imagine Trixie would be horrified by <laughs> a blade of grass yes. on her own or on Barbara's behalf. But, like, the meaning of no one has ever touched this. It's new because you are, 
like symbolic. Mm-hmm. It's a exactly. really sweet. It is a very sweet proposal at a very sweet moment, and I uh, hope those kids are happy together. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Trixie is, by the way, staying. Speaking of Trixie, she is going to stay. Yes, in when South the rest Africa. of them go back to London, Trixie is staying in South Africa and filling in for Doctor Myra yes. until Doctor Myra is recovered. Yeah. So we see really Trixie cool. acting as a doctor. Yeah. And I definitely, when I first saw this, I mean, we're a spoiler-free podcast, so I won't say too much. But when I first saw this, I was like, Trixie should go to medical school. You know, it's not unheard of for women to be doctors. Dr. Myra is a doctor. Yep. So, like, Trixie you should be a doctor is definitely what I very what I thought when I very first saw this episode. And I still think it. Yes. But we'll see what happens, because we're a spoiler-free podcast. I feel like you're inching uh, (laughs) ominously close to spoilers. Uh, What's your favorite part of this episode? Oh, what is my favorite part of this episode? Um, It's long, so you can pick a couple, maybe. It's a long episode. It's hard. It's like a crappy answer, but I love just the uh, South African scenery, honestly. Mm. I love it. Um, but, um, (sighs) (laughs) so much in the episode that I, so hard to pick. I love, uh, Trixie performing a C-section. I mean, like, Trixie stepping up, uh, Mm -hmm. rising to the occasion in magnificent fashion, uh, being so capable and competent and filling in for a doctor who's not there and do, like pulling it all off. Like I'm so proud of her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that's my favorite part. Yeah. I think you stole mine. Cause that might be my favorite too. I think my favorite line, like just one off line is underneath all of this. I have a redhead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Like it's so funny from sister Winifred. Yes. Um, and the whole, I like, in that context, Trixie teaching Barbara how to smoke yes, is exactly. high on my list, yeah. too. But I think between Trixie uh, doing a C-section and Timothy's leg braces coming to South Africa mm. are my two, I think, the big, biggest highlights of the of the episode. But there's so many. I really enjoy this. It's kind of a strange anomaly in them leaving Poplar, but it's a good an interesting time. There's lots of interesting things to talk about, hence us talking and talking and talking about it. Yes. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, my favorite part of this episode is this episode. I (laughs) I liked, there are some down uh, moments, Mm -hmm. but like on the whole, I really liked this episode an awful lot. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. So if you liked this episode or didn't like it and want to talk to us about it, I feel like there's so much to talk about. Uh, you can chat with us. We have a Discord that is linked in the show notes. We also are on Twitter for as long as Twitter exists. Uh, I made an Instagram that doesn't really uh, have anything on it yet, but hey, we're there. And how else would they get in touch with us, Paul? You can email poplar at clockworksacademy.com. You can also find both of us on Twitter, those will be linked in the uh, Twitter while Twitter exists. <laughs> those will be linked in the show notes. Um, and if you like this show, you can support it to make sure that we can keep making them uh, at uh, 
patreon.com slash clockworkscast, and there will be a link to that in the show notes as well. And thank you so very much for joining us on this episode. This, uh, If you've made it to here, you've been with us for a good long time today. <laughs> uh, I've been Dr. Paul Moffat. And I'm Jan Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion. Thank you.